Welcome to the Rise Inside podcast, hosted by Justin Starbird and powered by Rise Robotics. Listen as host Justin talks to experts from the Rise team about topics relating to mechanical engineering, industrial design, commercialization, and innovation. True collaborations work when ideas are integrated at inception to solve significant problems. Rise Inside brings together how the team continues to work with great folks to commercialize ideas. You're listening to the Rise Inside podcast. Here's your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to the Rise Inside podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Molly Pasley to the show. She is an assistant professor of special education, an AQ distinguished teaching scholar. Welcome to the show, Molly. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. This is pretty neat. We're uh, continuing a series on um, you know, something that we touched on in July, which was Disability Awareness Month. And, you know, one of the things that we've done here at RISE is work with individuals um, and help see beyond any impairments or disabilities that are there and, um, you know, take advantage of the talent that everybody is given, uh, regardless of what they can or cannot do, and, and really focus on what people can do. So you were introduced to me by our good friend, Chief Product Officer Ken Gray. Um, so, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and um, you know, what you're teaching now. So as you mentioned, I'm a professor at Northern Illinois University in their visual disabilities program. I worked in rural, urban, and suburban towns in Illinois as a teacher of students with visual impairments and as a certified orientation and mobility specialist. In 2017, I decided to start my own business and began subcontracting with the Veterans Administration Hospital out of Iowa City, Iowa, to provide in-home services for orientation and mobility, and also technology training for veterans with visual impairments. Wow. Wow. What got you started in this space? Like what, you know, that's, it's um, a really unique specialty uh, mm -hmm. and something that is yeah, becoming more and more important, but where did the passion, you know, to, to one, study this and, and then two, go out on your own um, and also create a business with it? Well, to answer your first question about where did I, how did I get into the field? Uh, I actually started as a deaf and hard of hearing major at Illinois State University. Um, ISU is unique in that it has all three of the special education licensure programs. So low vision and blindness, deaf and hard of hearing and learning behavior specialist one. Um, I was waitlisted when I, when I got in, into the, or when I tried to get into the major for deaf and hard of hearing, um, to try to get into sign language. And I was advised by a very, um, a very, I can't think of the word, um, persuasive, a very persuasive advisor to kind of follow along the low vision blindness class sequence until I could switch over into deaf and hard of hearing classes, because that was the closest or the most parallel path. If you, if you, um, the most parallel path. Sure. Uh, I received a phone call one day that there was an opening in the sign language class and in the deaf and hard of hearing program. And by that time, I'd actually decided I wasn't interested anymore. I had this really strong conviction that I wanted to teach kids with visual impairments and that that was what I was meant to do. And literally every door has opened since. That's so cool. Yeah. Was there an event or was it just the structure of the class? Was there some, you know, what, what led you to have such, you know, strong convictions to, to, you know, go away from where you really thought you wanted to be? 
I actually had a dream. <laughs> I had a dream the night before, strangely enough. And then um, I don't even really, I think I was, a, I had a dream that I was a blind child. And when I woke up the next day, I was like, you know what, this is, this is where my heart is. And I, that's all, that's the only thing I can't even give any explanation to it other than that. That's wild. Yeah. Um, well, I got introduced uh, to you from from our chief product officer, Ken Gray. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, how you guys got to know each other and, um, you know, where you worked together previously. Sure. So um, we both lived in Peoria, Illinois, and I was actively looking for ways to get involved in the community, in the blind community. And uh Ken was serving on the board of directors for the Central Illinois Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And they were, well, my husband works at Caterpillar and they happened to come across each other. And um, he said, oh, my wife actually teaches people who are visually impaired. And he's like, oh, we're looking for board members. You think she'd want to, you want to, she'd want to do this. And uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, the rest is history. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. Do you currently still serve on the board? I do not. Uh, when I started my position as a professor at Northern, it's two hours from my house and the bandwidth shrunk immensely. So being able to work with the center and and help them meet their goals, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So what is your day to day, you know, work like? now uh or work uh work life look like now and you know how do you you're you're teaching a really specific curriculum um to i got to imagine you know future teachers that have a similar passion you know uh as you do um to to help those in in you know with some disadvantages you know what does that look like now and and um you know how how has that been rewarding for you So when I transitioned to higher ed, um, there's only two universities in the state of Illinois that have a vision program. ISU is one in Bloomington and the other one is in DeKalb in Northern Illinois. Um, So my day to day in two hours, it's two hours, like I mentioned, from my home. And since my husband works at Caterpillar, it's not really it doesn't make financial sense for us to relocate to DeKalb. Um, So my day to day during the week. Um, I spend Monday and Tuesday at home, and then I teach an in-person class on Wednesday, have uh, student teacher supervision on Thursday. So I actually get to go out into the field, observe teachers teaching, um, get to see some people that I know in the field, which is a blast. I love I love that camaraderie and that collaboration. And then on Fridays, um, it's kind of like a, a work day for admin type stuff. So if it's, if it's, um, meetings or whatever. So I typically stay through the week up in, De- in the DeKalb area from Wednesday to Friday and then go home. Yeah. And then what's, a, you know, what are some of the workshops and, and the, you know, the different things that you're able to experience out in the field? I get to see innovative practices being implemented. So it's, you know, in higher ed, sometimes you can feel a little bit out of touch with what's going on in the field. And so going to conferences and and meeting new people and networking and doing all of that is really great. But actually seeing what people are doing in the classroom for me is a joy because then I can integrate that into my courses um, for the future teachers. Yeah. So what kind of things have, uh, have uh, changed, uh, you know, you know, relative to the pandemic and coming out and now doing in-person learning again, you know, what are you seeing that is, you know, maybe, 
uh, an improvement or you're back to normal? You know, what are what are some of the unique things that, that you're seeing on a day to day basis? Where it feels like it's getting back to normal is that we're not having to wear masks anymore. So that's really nice. I can actually project my voice without feeling like I'm you know, <laughs> going to lose it by the end of a lecture. One of the unique things is I can do supervision or I can meet with people remotely. I mean, it's really opened up the world in terms of my time management, the time spent behind the wheel, like driving places because driving is just the nature of the beast as an itinerant person. I'd say it's just really the technological platforms and the, the advancements and in um, video conferencing has been a game changer. Yeah. Um, we've noticed a lot more virtual instruction, not just from a supervisory standpoint, but students who are in more remote locations where they can't get an itinerant out there all the time um, can get more services. Sure. For, for skills that are appropriate to do remotely, not all skills are appropriate to teach remotely, but, um, but that's, you know, provided some, some instances where people could get more services than they were usually getting or well, previously must, getting. That must feel cool to, you know, feel like you're making an impact on a broader scale or, you know, in ways that you maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity before. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that as I was, you know, learning a little bit about you uh, leading up to today, you know, you've written extensively about uh, drivers of uh, education and, uh, you know, have you started to see like um, success and, and um, you know, folks using the, the you know, what you've written um, and putting it into practice? It's a little bit, that's a little bit of a tricky question only because um, that was my dissertation work and I published that back in 2019 and I did the study in 2017. So as a person who was taking on a new job at Northern, um, it takes a minute to get your bearings. And so dice or um, cutting apart or carving up my dissertation was not my first priority. So I'm just recently now starting to get some of those publications in. Um, so fortunately, um, I happened to meet two of the authors of a curriculum called Finding Wheels that they had decided around the time that I had finished my dissertation that they wanted to, they wanted to update it. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, they shifted from something that was very teacher focused to something that was traveler focused. So it's meant to be digested and read and just taken in by the actual traveler who wants to learn about different ways of getting around when you don't have a driver's license. Yeah. Um, because of the findings from my dissertation and because I'd had a conversation with one of the authors, they invited me to write a section about driver's education for non-drivers. So I was able to share the process for for getting a license for, you know, in, in my state at least, um, or the general process of getting a license. But then also, let's say you want to try to, you want to sit through a driver's ed class, like here's some considerations for that, um, including some of the social emotional considerations. Mm. Um, so it's not diagnose, it's not prescribing that this is the right fit for everybody. It's saying, Hey, if this is something you're interested in, here's some things you might consider. Sure. Um, and then 
as of right now, my next step is to submit a practitioner focused article in the next few months that covers what the participants thought was valuable when they took driver's ed, when they took part in the driver's ed class. So unfortunately, I haven't, the fruits of my labor have been more just kind of getting the word out, but it, I don't feel like it's been disseminated far and wide quite yet. Um, but one of the things that came out of that, those interviews with the students about driver's ed or about the, with the young adults um, who took part in driver's ed was that a number of them described in the original study about their experiences with discrimination among their peer group and in the workplace. Mm. And so as a result, they felt like they needed to go into hiding about their visual impairment or to pass as sighted. I know I've heard Ken refer to it as coming out blind, but they were, you know, didn't want to do that because they were, they felt like it affected their ability to get promotions. Um, people stopped talking to them or they started treating them differently. Uh, so I thought that that would be a really important thing to investigate further. And right now I'm in the middle of a study where I'm interviewing people all across the country and into Canada um, with visual impairments and their experiences with discrimination and passing as sighted. And a number of people have said that they've either tried to or successful, successfully hid their visual impairment in the workplace because they were afraid they wouldn't be promoted or they wouldn't be hired for a job if they disclosed their visual impairment. What kind of spaces have you seen that in like industries? I mean, uh, you know, that, that's got a, it's kind of a crappy feeling, right? I mean, <laughs> incredibly. Yeah, for sure. You're, you're um, sitting there and listening to some of these things you mentioned before we got on this, that you know, you'd, you'd maybe plan a half an hour for some of these interviews and they're going on three hours. What are, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that they're sharing and, and what industries are those in? Um, really, it, it spans it spans the continuum. I would say the industry they're not really seeing it in would be the blindness field or, or I'm sorry, let me back up. Not the blindness field, but like now let me I'm going to I'm going to qualify that. This is very much just the experiences of the people that I've talked to. That's not to say that people out there are not experiencing these same things in their own industries, but just based on who I've talked to in Department of Rehab Services or Department of Human Services. uh, One person said that they were really jazzed about hiring people with disabilities, but then when it came time to promote them, he kept getting overlooked. And so the people that he was training ended up being in higher positions than him. Um, Now, if you look at, or same thing in corporate America, um, a gentleman worked at a call center, same thing, where he was training people who then became his boss, where people have not described that issue with upward mobility is when they're working in organizations or companies that provide services to or products for people who are blind or visually impaired. Right. Well, I guess that makes sense. Um, is there anything that, um, you know, are you starting, are you seeing, you know, patterns at this point, you know, uh, or, you know, similarities or, or, um, you know, ways in which, uh, you know, people can ask better questions when they're there going in for an interview before they get hired? I don't know that that realization has come out necessarily. Um, but I think it's important for, for employers to to recognize that they have biases. I mean, one of the things that I found is even talking to sighted people, what's your biggest fear? Well, if it's not, you know, death, it's going blind. Or in some cases, it's going blind or losing vision because that would completely 
diminish my independence. Yeah. And so, you know, if that's a common thought, then if you experience someone who has that, you automatically go into either pity mode or fear mode, or if you don't know any better, or if you, if you haven't experienced or met a person who's blind or visually impaired. It's spot on. I mean, you know, and to follow that up rather, um, you know, (laughs) asking a company to be uh, self-aware is, is gotta be, you know, I think that may be one of the most difficult things to overcome, you know? And so, you know, you have these opportunities where, you have really talented folks, uh, you know, performing, you know, jobs and responsibilities to your point where, you know, they're being passed over for somebody that just looks or feels a little bit different. And that's not necessarily where the talent is. And so, uh, you know, you're kind of getting into what some employers can do, you know, to recognize within themselves that, yeah, they do have biases um, or, or bias rather, uh, you know, within their culture and you know maybe there's ways that they can improve or questions they ask themselves um to uh, to improve those things and then i think at the end of the day don't you need a champion you know you need somebody uh you know a champion internally that uh, has the ability to see beyond that right definitely um <clears throat> so and i know this is Again, we're talking about recognizing our own areas of need. Um, The majority of the ways I'm going to describe are based on moving away from making assumptions about people with visual impairments. And like we said, um, one of those ways is to recognize that a person might have an implicit bias um, specifically against visual impairment. And I'm not sure if, if you've heard of Project Implicit through Harvard. So they have a series of different tests that you can take and they, um, and you you see where you fall. Do you have, are you in favor or do you have a leaning more toward being biased against or for uh, specific groups of people? Um, it now, as a disclaimer, that is not accessible <laughs> to people who are blind or visually impaired. So um, just to put that out there, uh, but it is, at least it gives you a baseline for where you're where you are as an individual. Sure. Um, and once you know that exists, you can actively fight against it. Um, it's important to develop a strengths-based approach when hiring and promoting people. Like you said, you know, let's look at people for what they bring to the table, not what they can't do or what you perceive as things that they can't do or their, their perceived challenges. Having a more diverse and when, when you include as many different people at the table, you get that much more, you get that many more different perspectives and you end up with a much better product or a better service or when you include all of the people you're asking about, you can't, well, you can't make a, um, you, you can't make assumptions, uh, or, or judgments if you don't have them represented. Right. Exactly. Yep. And, Absolutely. And you're, 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 you're spot on with that. Right. I mean, so many times you have a group of people that make decisions for, uh, you know, for other groups where those groups are not represented. Um, their their needs, their wants, their desires, their abilities aren't taken into full consideration. And you have, um, you know, like you said, implicit bias that you don't even realize are there. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, what you're really saying is that, um, you know, you need to, as an employer, you need to have the wherewithal to look internally and say, okay, hey, we need to know if there are 
uh, you know, opportunities that exist that we can improve on um, and, you know, go through our processes a, a little bit differently and make sure that, you know, people that um, have talent and, you know, can perform the work are all given the opportunity to do the work. Absolutely. And not just assuming that because a person has a visual impairment that they can't do the work. Yeah. Like ask, ask first, get to know the individual. And if they tell you they can do something, believe them until they indicate to you that they've got to come up with an alternative. Uh, this will also help avoid the trap of assuming a person, like I said, is incapable of doing something just based on their disability, which is something that I think a lot of people fall into if they haven't met or don't know a person who's blind or visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Um, another important thing would be to ask that person what they need to be successful in the workplace. And when they tell you, listen, don't assume that we know better, um, just because we're sighted or just because we're able-bodied, they've been navigating the world with that disability and have figured out the way they learn and work best. Um, like, I I know I'm kind of listing off a bunch of things. (laughs) I feel like there are quite a few, but really a lot of them have to go, go back to inclusive practices and really educating yourself as the employer, um, for people with all types of disabilities in the workplace. And I know, again, this is a very disability centric, but it's not just that. It's also diff- cultural differences as well. So LGBTQ community, people of different racial and ethnic um, ethnic backgrounds. Um, but for the purpose of this, you know, I'm just really honing in on the disability area. Um, so an example could be uh, when you're creating any kind of training videos or promotional materials or or it could be even just like paper documents, um, making sure that you're including, okay, how is a person with low vision or blindness going to be able to access this? Do I need to put it in an electronic format where I don't have all these graphics? Or if I do, that I use alternative text. That way this person is going to get meaning from those from that in, from those graphics. Um, for the training videos, that could inc- make sure they're including descriptive audio and closed captions for scenes that have a lot of visual information that can't be detected by a person with a visual impairment. Uh, a really great resource for employers who are looking to do the work. Uh, and I, and I, when I say do the work, I mean, do the work on themselves and with their organization to change the culture of their organization to be more inclusive, uh, especially for people who are blind or visually impaired. Mississippi State University has the National Technical Assistance Center on Blindness and Low Vision, or the NTAC BVI, and their goal is to improve employment outcomes for people with blindness or low vision and also provide free resources for the employer, the job seeker, the family. Um, They've got, it's a really rich website. It's really cool. Um, They've got different employee vignettes, stories of people who have done across fields, across um, visual impairment spectrum. I mean, you, you, you name it. I feel like they've got a representative there. Uh, you sound like you're writing the uh, rise, <laughs> uh, future rise employee handbook. Here. <laughs> so this is great. So Molly, what's next for you? Um, Well, my goal is tenure. (laughs) So as an assistant professor, um, after about six years, you basically, you go for tenure. And so that's, I'm very fortunate in that I'm doing what I love and I'm growing in ways professionally that I think are helping me as an individual um, on a personal level. Uh, And I'm doing that all with moving in the direction of getting tenure. So I get to 
I get to do service opportunities and work with the community that I love. Um, I'm working with, you know, with across the country with various organizations. Um, I also, I love teaching. That's where my, my heart and soul uh, research is kind of the, I, I enjoy it, but teaching is, is my bread and butter. That's what I, you know, I've, I've known I wanted to be a teacher since I was a child and I've always worked with kids um, up until this point. So uh, yeah, so <clears throat> I really like keeping one foot in the field by doing contracting work in the summer and working at the university. So honestly, my future is, or what's next for me, is just keeping keeping going with what I'm doing because I'm I'm in a really great place right now. That's so cool. Well, Molly, thank you so much for uh, sharing all your expertise and you know what you're you know what's going on out in the world beyond uh, you know where we are um, and sharing some in, in, insight on you know, how to be a better employer and how to be a better, you know, person to be able to recognize these things. This has been awesome. Well, thank you. And I hope that people check out Mississippi State's website because it's out of this world. Awesome. Well, and where should we find you? Um. Uh, ooh. Well, if you want to get in contact with me, if you've got questions, you can reach out to me at mpasley, uh, M and then P is in Paul, A is in Alpha, S is in Sierra, L is in Lima, E is in Echo, Y is in Yankee at niu.edu. Awesome. Well, you've been listening to the latest episode of Rise Inside. Today, my guest, Molly Pasley, is an assistant professor at Northern Illinois University. I'm so thankful to have you. Thank Until you. Until next time. Sounds good. You've been listening to the Rise Inside podcast presented by Rise Robotics. On behalf of our guest today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. Please share your feedback on our LinkedIn page 